Growing Up, our brand new resource for churches and parents is out now. Woohoo! With Sunday school sessions, training videos, podcast episodes for parents and one for the whole family. All there to help our children navigate the confusion, filter the messages they're surrounded by and hear God's good story. All our Growing Up resources point to the Heavenly Father who loves our children even more than we do and has the answer to their biggest questions about who they are and how to live. Together, as families and churches, we can support each other to start good conversations about bodies, gender and marriage so our children can grow up hearing God's good story. Head over to the website faithinkids.org and find out all the details about growing up. So don't switch off from whatever else is going on, actually. If, if you were already aware that maybe your own person's mental health was suffering, don't switch off from that. It's very easy for it to become just about gender now. And actually other things which are at least very big in their lives and could well be contributing that to be ignored. So thinking about things like that. And that's part of keeping gender in perspective. So for a young person who's got to that stage, chances are through an LGBT group at school, through online stuff, they've kind of fallen down a rabbit hole of gender. And in their mind, their life has become about gender. Chances are, very often the narrative is spending lots of time online, less and less time in the real world, as it were, with friends, give up hobbies they've historically done and stuff. Life becomes about gender. And one small thing you do as a parent is help them see and experience that life's about far more. Hello, welcome to the Faith in Parents podcast. My name is Ed, I'm the director of Faith in Kids, and this is part of our series called Who Am I? We're looking at issues of identity that at the moment our culture is particularly engaged with. Uh, This episode, we are going to be looking at transgender, gender dysphoria, uh, gender questioning young people and how we can talk to our children about these topics. As always with this podcast, we're trying to work out what the everyday, the normal, the kitchen conversations look like in Christian homes. I'm delighted to have with me Julie and Andrew. Uh, Julie, why don't you start? Tell us uh, where have you come from today? Uh, a bit about your family and what you do. Yeah, hi, lovely to be here. I have come from Basingstoke, otherwise known as Amazing Stoke, by those of us who live there. I am a paediatrician, community paediatrician, which means I deal with children with learning difficulties, autism, language disorders, children who are in foster care and a wide variety of things. I am married, been married for 25 years, and I have three children aged 21, 19 and 16. So uh, yeah, I'm quite busy. I also work for Lovewise, which is a Christian charity teaching on sex and relationships. And just on this topic we're looking at today, Julie, how do these issues come into your working life? So in my in my main working life, because I, I deal with children who have sort of learning difficulties and quite a lot of mental health problems as well. Uh, a number of them increasingly are having issues around gender and questioning their gender. And also with my work with Lovewise, where I'm teaching about puberty, uh, relationships, then obviously it comes into that as well. Thanks, Julie. Andrew, where have you come from? What do you do there? How's it going? <laughs> I come from Bexhill, sunny southeast coast, kind of retirementville, but also some young people, younger people like myself. I work for a charity called Living Out. So we exist to help people, churches and society talk about faith and sexuality. And so we do a lot of work around sexuality, gender, identity, just helping us all think, what does the Bible say? How do we live that out and flourish as individuals? How do we help each other to do that as well? Uh, I also do quite a lot of itinerant ministry, travelling, writing and reading around different things, some related to gender and sexuality, some a bit broader as well. How's it going? It's going well, yeah. Life's often busy. I spend a lot of time scaling the country up and down on trains and motorways. But within that, I had the privilege of speaking to lots of people, engaging lots of people. And yeah, it's a role I really love. Thank you, Andrew. Um, 
Andrew, could you tell us a bit about your experience on these issues and, and maybe ha- how in hindsight you've processed them? Yeah, for me, this is in a sense of very, well, has been a very real life personal topic, very impacted by myself in a few different ways and a few different aspects of my life. There was a time in my childhood where I very much believed that I was a girl trapped in a boy's body. I remember it so vividly because I remember the fear that I would get pregnant and that it would get found out. Obviously, not know how these things work, but my fear was if I get pregnant, everyone will know actually I'm a girl trapped in a boy's body. And that was a very, I remember a very kind of... Um, profound thing I really I really thought that was true I was quite fearful of that this was you know quite many years ago I didn't really know of people talking about those kind of things so I just kind of kept quiet about it and, and Andrew sorry what what age was that that memory? I think was going to upper primary end of primary I think so nine through to 11 maybe and then as I went, went into my teenage years into puberty that kind of naturally went away and as we'll come to talk later that's not an unusual experience for something like that of childhood and the fact to go away during teen years and I look back now at that, and I think what happened to me there, I was very much kind of what we might call gender non-conforming, as in I didn't match up to gender stereotypes, what boys are like, all, almost all the ways in a sense. While all the boys were playing football at school with their, the other boys, I was the lone boy with the girls trying and failing to do handstands against the hedge, stuff like that. All my close friends were girls, and just all my likes and dislikes, all the stereotypical stuff very much lined up with girls rather than boys and what people expected. I think that just meant I couldn't compute how I could be a boy if that was how I found myself to be. And so I began to come to the conclusion that must mean I'm a girl attracting a boy's body. That kind of feeling went naturally away, as I said, kind of as I went into um, my teenage years. But then even more recent years, I really had to wrestle with this thing of gender as well. I came to a realisation that although I wasn't still thinking I was a girl attracting a boy's body or a man's body, I was deeply uncomfortable with my identity as a man. And actually kind of, I guess, was living with a sense of not being a real man, not kind of making the cut. I noticed I would say things, uh, talking to a group of female friends, I'd say things like, well, he would say that, he's a man. The implication clearly being the men are over there. And I'm not a woman, but somehow I'm not a man either. I'm not kind of in that group. Things like single-sex environments were literally my worst nightmare. I would avoid them anywhere I could, really. And to be honest, I harboured this secret desire that I would be invited to a friend's hen party or something. Although I didn't think of myself as being a woman, I wanted, in a sense, to be part of that group because where I felt safe, maybe, rather than with guys. And so I've had to really process that. And actually, God wonderfully has taken me on a a wonderful journey of coming to realise now I'm a man because he says I'm a man. That's a solid, static, unchangeable thing he's given to me. And actually, that allows me to embrace my likes, dislikes, my personality, the things that might be deemed traditionally feminine. It doesn't change the fact I'm a man. And so I guess even in recent years, I've been on a journey of growing comfortable with both my identity as a man, but also my unique kind of personalities we all have. And the fact that that's not traditionally masculine is okay. God's made me that way. He delights in me as I am. So, Andrew, does that mean that it's not just you've grown out of it or you've got used to it, but it is? Christian faith that has changed how you feel yeah certainly in my more recent kind of wrestling with this as an adult absolutely actually and it was realizing that Genesis 127 says that I'm a man because God has created me that way it's given to me in my body it's part of how he's created me and that being a man isn't something you create through performance or you earn by acting a certain way but it's true of me because of how God's made what he says of me and that gives me the freedom to embrace those other things. So I talk about learning what God says about who I am has given me the freedom to embrace how I am. So absolutely that that biblical foundation, that, that truth of God is greater, what he says about me, has been the, the great releasing, freeing thing. Thanks, Andrew. That, that is exactly the story of what we're trying to do with these resources on Who Am I? is to start that conversation with children that how we feel about ourselves can be changed by who God says we are. And exactly as you say, Andrew, that journey is still going on as an adult. We can just start that conversation when children are younger. That is exactly what we're doing with this podcast. Uh, I'm sure we're aware that questioning gender is something now that is, is in so many of our communities. I do remember even three years ago, it felt like it was something that was only happening in a few London secondary schools. But now, Faith in Kids, we're hearing this story in many places, in many types of schools, you know, Church of England schools and primary schools, not just secondary schools, and all over the country and in the villages and towns. 
So we're trying to understand firstly in this podcast, how do we understand the culture our children are growing up in? And then how do we as Christians respond? Jutley, could you just give us a hand, first of all, with understanding what is it we're talking about? Yeah, it's a very difficult topic and it obviously it's a very emotive topic. So, you know, I think what we're, what we're dealing with is a situation where children are being given the idea that they have this gender identity, that it's something that's inside of them, that only they understand, that, that they can sort of choose who they are and that that somehow trumps the biological reality of, you know, like Andrew was saying, the sort of, you know, who God has created him to be and that somehow how you feel trumps that. So we get got this situation where children are being told that only they know who they are and that they can somehow choose their gender. And it's complicated by the, you know, the, the kind of the term gender, because historically and still actually in, in a lot of medical situations, when people ask about gender, what they really mean is biological sex. And, you know, and a number of years ago, the two things would have been used quite interchangeably, whereas now they mean really quite different things. So really, we're talking about biological sex, which is your chromosomes, X or Y versus your gender identity, which is is about kind of how you feel and, and who you feel you are. Okay. And Andrew, could you just give us a hand with if we move on from, if you like, that medical reality of your every cell in your body. Is that right, Julie? Every cell in your body is male or female? Yeah. So men have X and a Y chromosome. So that's at conception and Girls have two X chromosomes and that is every single cell in your body has those chromosomes in there. So it's not just your genitalia, it's every part of you. Thank you. So, Andrew, can you just help us understand then in in terms of as Christians, we're, we're on the one hand wanting to love people, whoever they are. And on the other, we're trying to say there is some truth to navigate. Could you just help us with that? In terms of what is the Christian truth? Uh, and also the language of diversity yeah. and how we as Christians relate to that. Yeah, well, how do we get diversity? In one way, we want to embrace diversity. We want to say God has created a wonderfully diverse population of humans in a wonderfully diverse creation, and that brings glory to him. And we look at the end of the biblical vision. What's the end of the biblical vision? Actually, it's a diverse group representing what God has created, bringing glory to him. There's more glory to him because of that, as it were. But diversity sometimes gets unhelpfully brought to this conversation in the sense of often it's proposed that we all have this internal gender identity, and that many of us now are realising that, as it were, we're embracing that. So many people are realising or saying their general identity doesn't match their biological sex. And we're in a time of history where that's happening where it never has before. You know, the, the sheer numbers of people say, actually, no, I'm not lining up with biological sex in my body. I'm embracing a general identity that's different. And some people are saying this is wonderful. We're in a, an age of diversity because we now have the freedom to embrace who we really are. And so some people's explanation of what's happening with the many, many young people we're seeing questioning their gender and identify as transgender is we're just in a wonderfully tolerant age where the true diversity of humanity can be seen. So that's kind of one proposed uh, perspective on what we're seeing happening. There are some problems with that. One particular problem is what we're really seeing is an awful lot of teenagers, particularly and teenage girls, particularly. There are others as well, but they're the main cohort. And you kind of ask the question, if this is just we're in society, we're all free to be true to ourselves. Why is it one small subset of the population we're seeing this particularly? Why is it not women of all ages? Why is it not women and men? There's some real questions to be asked about whether actually we can explain what's happening as being based on the fact we're now a very tolerant society. And there's the pure question of what is a gender identity? Actually, if you know, if you know your gender identity by if you feel like a woman, you are a woman. What's it mean to feel like a woman? How can we define women? You can't have the word women and the definition for women. It comes kind of circular. So there's there's what could be called a diversity a diversity perspective as an explanation for what's happening, which I think isn't actually fully helpful. And actually, a view I would more take, actually, of how do we approach this and understand this is what I might dub the kind of distress perspective. What it seems to be happening is why are we seeing so many young people questioning their gender, identifying uh, as transgender, it seems to be that transgender has become kind of the available explanation to young people for distress. And so when young people begin to experience distress, which 
most of us do in life and particularly teenagers experience various levels of distress because of all the different challenges facing teenage years and actually young people now are being told through vloggers through reddit even sometimes through stuff in school that what you're the reason for your distress actually is your gender identity actually is that you're trans and the solution is to transition out of that that will solve your distress but i'm not convinced that's the case and so actually my distress perspective because actually what we're seeing is a whole load of distressed young people who've been sold a narrative of explanation and solution which isn't going to work and actually we need to help young people think how do we be resilient how do we live in a world that is full of suffering and all of us face different forms of distress so i think good caring for young people in these situations is how do we help young people navigate distress which might well be manifesting as questioning about gender okay so if I just try to summarise that a little, in our teenagers, perhaps particularly at the moment, we see a rise in mental ill health. And our young people are distressed more than perhaps they have been in the past for a variety of reasons. And as they try to work out, how do I escape this situation? What is the solution to the way I'm feeling? there might be a, a range of ways that come out of that. One of them could be an eating disorder. One of them could be self-harm. And you're saying one of them could be uh, questioning their gender. So it may not be, it may not be their distress is linked to their gender, but they see it as a way out. Is that yeah, fair? Yeah. And so they may become, they come to believe their distress is about their, their gender. Because again, they're, they're kind of told that, they hear that story so very often, if you hear the story, particularly of a transgender teenager, that there's a pattern which is very common of kind of the way they'll tell it is, I, I always knew I was a bit different. I always knew there was something quite not right. I didn't quite fit in, but didn't know what it was. It may not even bother them hugely. But then I came across the transgender vloggers on YouTube and they were talking about their experience of being trans and suddenly I realised that's me. And they told me if I get testosterone, It'll feel amazing. If I chop off my breasts, my breasts, all this distress will go away. And you can see how for a distressed, unsettled young person, that's such an attractive thing. They're telling me who I am, the question we all want to answer, especially our teenage years. They're telling me how to escape from distress. And we live in a culture that tells us comfort is king. You shouldn't experience distress. Everything should be solvable. That's kind of the culture, one of our cultural messages. You can see how this easily becomes the attractive uh, narrative to people and, and of course we've always seen groups of teenage girls that would kind of be a group of self-harmers or a group with eating disorders and you know we've always you know, as long as I've been working we've always seen that and you get these kind of yeah groups of girls that you know, all seem to decide they have the same difficulty and sort of uh, kind of egg each other on to a certain extent and, and it's a similar kind of picture with with the the gender so Julia a central question is medically, can a person change their sex? No, medically they can't change their sex because as we said, sex is biological. So it's your chromosomes. Every cell in your body has XY or XX. So you, you, so you can't change that. Obviously, as Andrew just mentioned, you know, the girls want to take testosterone, boys want to take oestrogen. That can change your outward appearance. So a girl who takes testosterone will grow facial hair, her voice will drop, then she might have her breasts removed. So she might look like a boy. And obviously, sometimes they later on in adulthood, sometimes they will have surgery again to make them look more like the opposite sex, but they will never actually be the opposite sex. And they may have, even if they have surgery to kind of, you know, create genitals that appear as the opposite sex, they will not be functioning. They will be infertile. Most of them will have no or very little sexual function. So, no, you cannot become the opposite sex. Okay, thank you. You've already started to talk a little about two particular types of gender questioning that we see in our children and young people and can we just split them up into those two and just talk about each of them one at a time so the first one would be pre-puberty during primary school julie could you just sketch us out a little of what these children feel like and what we see as parents and what we may see in our community i think andrew's given it quite a good kind of description of that already you know and these are the children that we we would have seen 20 years ago that you know the small number of predominantly boys who have who are gender non-conforming who have these sort of feelings that they want to be a girl from a, a very young age and that's what 
what we would have seen, you know, previously, which is quite different to, to what we're generally seeing now. So there are still those children around. And I think the the difference that we're seeing now is that, you know, 10, 20 years ago, nobody would have paid a huge amount of attention to the fact that they said they wanted to be a girl in that everyone knew that they weren't a girl and couldn't be a girl. So you just kind of kind of went, you know, went with with how things were and they, you know, carried on with their life. Whereas now, if a, if a young boy puts on a dress, everyone kind of says, oh my goodness, maybe they're transgender. And they're also being read books and things like that in schools, which are telling them from a very young age that they might be the opposite sex if they like the, the toys and the, you know, like playing with the same, the opposite sex. And so they're being told from a very young age that they can be the opposite sex or that they might be the opposite sex. And so it's introducing that questioning into children who it wouldn't have been there for previously. Okay, so so let's just make this theory into flesh and let's let's give him a name. So you're saying normally it's a boy, let's call him Billy. He is seven or eight years old. For as long as he can remember, he has wanted to be a girl. He has always been sort of gender non-conforming. He, he doesn't want to get muddy. He he might hang out with girls more and he might play with more girls' toys. C- could you just give us a steer, Andrew? Because, I mean, you said this was your experience. Could you first of all just help us, as, as a Christian parent, what would be the right response to raising Billy? I think we want to think through what does it mean to be a boy or a girl in a sense actually and it's that thing i talked about separating out kind of who we are as the given identity and then what i loosely call how we are in terms of personality preferences things like that and so actually it's helping a child of any age and these are the things that are the foundations we can lay in different ways but at any age actually of god is the one who tells us who we are God gives us our identity as being either a boy or a girl as a gift. Isn't it exciting that God's made you as a boy and God's given that to you in your body to work? God said that through your body. But it's really okay to be a boy who really likes whatever it might be, whether it be pink things, because our culture deems that familiar, whether it be glittery things, whether it be toys deemed more traditionally for girls than for boys. It's helping them realize that's, that's really okay. It doesn't change the fact you're a boy. It's okay to be a boy that's like that. And even actually helping children realize it's okay to be someone who's a bit different from other people. I think for me, it was a big thing. It's a feeling of difference, actually, and not kind of fitting in, maybe not being uh, with the statistical majority and helping a child realize that's okay. And, and we love you like that. And God loves you like that and God's giving you this identity so it's separate out the two things of affirming gently this this good news of you're a boy God's made that way he's given that to you but it doesn't mean you need to change all your likes and dislikes and stuff and so it's doing both those simultaneously in a sense to help a gender non-conforming child embrace who they are in terms of God made them as a boy or a girl but also have the freedom to embrace how they are so God has not made a mistake in making you a boy he has given you a boy's body that is different to a girl's body. Your body is a gift to you from God, and he has made you unique, and he has made how you are unique, and you are free to flourish as God has made you with the body he has given you. Okay. Andrew, thank you, Julie. Just on Billy, is there anything you'd want to add for how we would parent care for Billy and maybe even how we would be a friend of a family to Billy? Yeah, I think one of the things I think is probably quite important to pick up on when we're thinking about Billy and thinking about some of the things that Andrew was just saying is that, of course, normal development means that boys and girls will experiment with dressing however you know my my you know my own children have dressed up in princess dresses you know my, my boys have dressed up in princess dresses you know that, that's normal that's not cross-dressing to play to play yeah that's role play that's that's completely normal and i think so i think that's one important thing is that parents shouldn't panic if their child appear, appears at any point to be somewhat gender non-conforming you know i mean you know dressing up in a princess dress is way more exciting than dressing up as Bob the Builder or whoever isn't, you know. So I think I think that's one thing is is not thinking that being liking things that are traditionally the opposite sex is a problem because it's not. 
it, you know, even if they're not gender non-conforming, that you know, it's just part of normal growing up. And I think, as Andrew said, you know, th- this kind of grounding them in the the biological reality of who God has created us to be, and that that is, you know, that you te- you're teaching them that, and you're kind of being really clear about that in your families. That I think is 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 really important. And I think other families, a lot of that depends on your relationship with that family what your involvement is with that family I think families have all sorts of things going on that often we have no idea about and sort of you know if a family is struggling with this kind of issue it might be that you can get alongside them um, and uh, you know support them with whatever it is that they're that they need rather than focusing necessarily on the gender they're not a project to be fixed they're definitely not a project to be fixed no whole family is to be loved yeah and if the relationship is there maybe you can help in this area and maybe you can't yeah thanks julie we've just looked at this pre-puberty version which has existed before if we look at then the the post-puberty version what do we see here, Julie? Yeah, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting kind of phen- phenomenon. I mean, distressing phenomenon, but interesting, you know, partly how I've sort of got involved with it. But, you know, you, you tend to hear the same story over and over again. And I've heard this from a number of families, you know, sort of a teenage girl who, uh, like Andrew said, you know, doesn't quite fit in. The, the story often is that they get involved in an LGBT club at school. So there are schools quite commonly, even primary schools, have got these LGBT clubs and these children will often go along to these clubs. They feel accepted and loved in that scenario where they felt a bit of an odd bod before. And then they kind of gradually then end up saying that they think that they're a boy and they want to identify as a boy. They will often come up with some kind of elaborate coming out that's quite orchestrated with a script and what will often have preceded this and this is why we seem to have seen a bit of a spike over lockdown as well it'll often been preceded by spending an awful lot of time online and as parents particularly of teenagers I you know I think we're all aware that our children have spent a lot more time online than we would have liked them to because they were forced to do that and you know they might have been on their school lesson but who knows what they were doing on another window on their computer and so you know they've often got lost in this online world that has then kind of given them some answers to the distress that they may have been feeling partly because of lockdown I mean we know that mental health in teenagers was increased increasingly an issue before the pandemic but it has escalated massively since the pandemic and i think many of these teenage girls are like andrew said you know that they're the answer they're being given to their distress is gender dysphoria or you know or that they really should be a boy i think there is also an element of the sort of sexualization of our society as well and the kind of you know pornography and and those kind of things that actually makes girls think actually i don't want to grow up to be a woman because I don't want to be what society tells me a woman needs to be. I don't want to be vulnerable to being abused by men or being taken advantage of. And so they kind of perhaps want to identify out of that. And and maybe, Julie, is it also fair to say maybe their bodies don't look like the cultural norm? At the moment, as we record this, Love Island is on. And I was listening to the radio this morning. All of the women and all of the men look similar, the same that is being portrayed as the way a body should look. So as Andrew was touching on earlier, to be a teenage girl and the majority of girls, their bodies won't look like that. One solution is I'd like to be a boy. And I think, you know, teenage girls going through puberty has always been a difficult time. This is, you know, going through puberty as a boy or a girl, it's not suddenly become difficult. I think it is more difficult, but it has always been a difficult time. Girls have always not liked their bodies. It's just that we've never had, girls have never been given the option to get out of it before. Um, Whereas they're kind of given that sort of opt out almost. And I think that's really key. I think opt out is a really helpful uh, observation of phrase here we we simply think a trans identification is about someone feeling like they're of the other sex or a different gender and want to transition across so actually they are here they want to live as here i think what often is happening is young people wanting to opt out of where they actually are they might be opting out of i can never compete to those bodily ideals so i've got to opt out and 
be of a different gender. It might be, I don't want to be treated the way I see women treated in porn. It might be boy thinking, I don't want to be treated someone who treats people like women are treated by men in porn. I want to opt out of being a man. There's all, all manner of reasons. It might just be actually this experience of being a teenage girl is too distressing. I want to opt out. And so although so often it's presented as I'm over here, you need to catch up with me. This is who I actually am, my real gender. You know, let me be who I am. Actually to have as a kind of thought process in our mind, this might well be an opting out. What is this allowing someone to opt out from might highlight actually where the root of some distress is and where actually we can best love and care and support for a young person in that situation. Andrew, let's let's give this person a name then. So we're, we're talking about Rachel. We're going to say she grew up in a Christian home. She's age 13. She got involved in the LGBT club at school. She says to her parents she wants to change her name to Joe. She wants to socially live as a boy with haircut, clothes, activities. And in conversation, she's she's not willing to talk about Christian things and she's no longer willing to come to church. Could, could you just give us a start, Andrew, in, in how we care for Rachel? Some some do's and don'ts and just some ways to love her well. My, my first do is don't panic. I mean, for, for a parent who however it is, finds this out, often as Julie said, there can be very dramatic ways that young people seek to communicate this to parents, is not to panic. I you know, I can only imagine in a sense what that feels like. It must feel overwhelming. It must feel terrifying. But my little word of encouragement is, is not to panic. And, and an observation I've learned so much from Julie actually in this is parents are much better equipped to cope with this than they think they are. And it is interesting, gender, light topic of sexuality, we kind of do class them as in different boxes and we are intimidated by them. And we kind of think this is so complex and difficult. We just don't know how to handle them. And actually all the good common sense uh, Christian wisdom about parenting you already have as a parent, it puts you in a really good place to parent this young person really well. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of don't panic. And as it were, don't switch off your good Christian parenting uh, know-how and even your common sense. So much of that will help you through. And that's just helping you. You don't, in a sense, we have specialised this when actually what a young person needs is some good parenting and good love. So be encouraged in a sense, actually, you are equipped to to do this. That's kind of one thing. I think as you know, the perspective we've kind of described actually, it's thinking what else is going in life. So if we look at the referrals to, to GIDS, the General Identity Development Service of young people, there's disproportionate pre-diagnoses of mental health conditions, depression, OCD, different things. There's disproportionate number of referrals who are autistic or have some sort of ASD characteristics. A disproportionate number of them have have been through some traumatic and such like. And so very often it seems there are other factors and gender is just, as it were, the surface level presenting thing. And so don't switch off from whatever else is going on, actually. If if you were already aware that maybe your own person's mental health was suffering – don't switch off from that. It's very easy for it to become just about gender now. And actually other things which are at least very big in their lives and could well be contributing that to be ignored. So thinking about things like that. And that's part of keeping gender in perspective. And so for a young person who's got to that stage, chances are through an LGBT group at school, through online stuff, they've kind of fallen down a rabbit hole of gender. And in their mind, their life has become about gender chances are you know, very often the narrative is spending lots of time online less and less time in the real world as it were with friends give up hobbies they've historically done and stuff life becomes about gender and one small thing you can do as a parent is help them see and experience that life's about far more so just keep talking to them about about their friends about their hobbies keep taking them into the re- ground them in the real world by taking them out into the real world of nature get them doing something physical and you know sport and exercise and stuff it's all a grounding in the real world and just gently pulling away from gender is the be all and end all in a sense giving a kind of a a broader perspective on it as well there's also important stuff in social transition which julie is best on so julie should tell us about I'd, how do we engage with social and transition. i'd love just to say then in this series on identity this is not the only topic we're looking at and it's not the only topic the bible has to say who we are so you know, if if this young person is immersed in an LGBT club, if they're immersed in a group of friends who are telling them, as you're saying, gender is the beginning and end. This is who you are. The Christian message is this is part of who you are. You are, first of all, created by God in his image. You are the one who has been saved by Christ. You are the one who's being changed by Christ. You are a work of the spirit. You are part of a church. These are you're part of our family. 
being outside, being outdoors, laughing with your siblings, running into lakes in the summer, that that's part of that, isn't it? Is there is a bigger story. Can we just remind you the story we've been telling you all your life? Julie, can you just t- tell us a bit more about how we can care for Rachel? And and Andrew was just prompting you on the social yeah. transitioning. Yeah, and, and I think I would add to add to Andrew's don't panic, would be pray. You know, you know, absolutely be praying for them because, you know, it's only it's only God that can actually change people's hearts and, and, and actually really help. And, and also it, it's God that can give us the wisdom in knowing how to deal with this as well. And I think all those kind of hobbies and all the rest of it and finding things that you can do with them that you enjoy doing together, because those are the times when you're going to be able to open up these conversations and actually listen to them. So, you know, it's, it's about not saying, well, don't be so silly. Of course, you're not. A, of course you're not a boy you know why do you think you know what makes you think that you know what what is it that worries you about being a girl or you know just trying to open up those kind of conversations and I think parents are terrified of the narrative that is out there that says that if you don't go along with what your child is asking so asking you to use a different name or use pronouns let them dress as a boy the world tells you that if, if you don't go along with that you're going to make things worse and that you you know you might end up causing them to want to harm themselves the evidence is absolutely that that is not the case you know as andrew said these are children who generally have mental health problems anyway so how you kind of deal with this, you know, don't be terrified. But what is really important is that social transition, i.e. changing names and pronouns, is... And, and clothes. And clothes. Increasingly known now to be a significant intervention. So the recent the independent review that is going on at the moment in, in the UK into treatment to children with gender dysphoria is, is kind of making that really clear that doing these things is a significant intervention, which has an effect on the outcome. So that if you go along with your child's change of name, pronouns, letting them dress differently, actually you're reinforcing the the gender difficulties and you're actually, there's a possibility that you could end up making it worse. So something that they might have just sort of, you know, worked through as they work through some of these issues, actually they, they get further entrenched into believing that they are the opposite sex. So it's something that, you know, you, you you have to be very, very cautious about and think very carefully, when, particularly when you're dealing with children. Thank you. Andrew, for most of our listeners, this won't be happening in their families, but it is happening in Christian families. So the first thing we'd want to say is, if you are a Christian family going through this, you have not taken a wrong turn. You've not screwed up. You're not the wild outlier. But if we a moment just consider the majority of cases where a Christian family will know of someone in the school, will know of someone in the church, will know someone in the community. Can you just give us a hand, Andrew? How as families, how as parents, do we navigate that? Yeah, I think maybe different contexts are different. I mean, you know, church, we are family together. You know, the scriptures talk about we're a body together and therefore one part of the body is suffering. We all suffer together. And so, you know, in a church context, we very much want to be alongside as much as we can supporting, you know, and I think it's important to say parents who are navigating this with a young person need this good friends, need good support for themselves as well. In a sense, they need to think how they look after themselves in the face of a very stressful, difficult situation. And we as church family can be can be part of that which partly will just be being good friends. We mustn't over, overlook the impact that just having good friends, loving and walking on a side will be. Partly might be them processing how they're going to respond, might be looking with them at what are the helpful resources we can turn to. I think when it goes broad, if we're talking about, I don't know, a family at school, uh, neighbours, so it might be kind of broader context outside of church family context. I think it's a very difficult one. It's going to partly be based on what exists in relationship. Do we have actually, is it a relationship where they are going to look to us to support where actually they're going to be open to discussion around what's going on, whether whether there's insights that can help them. But what I found helpful is to think of actually the principles of what are we called to do as as Jesus followers uh, in terms of those who aren't Jesus followers. And I guess there's two things there. One is, of course, to preach the gospel. And of course, the gospel is come to Jesus and Jesus helps you then to change your life in line of his teaching. The gospel isn't change your life so you can come to Jesus. And so we always want to be avoiding sending the message that behavior management is what we care about because we're Christians, because that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus is about. He's about us coming to him, receiving forgiveness, receiving acceptance, everything flowing from that. 
But I also think there's a, a thing about God having called his people to stand up for and speak out for the vulnerable, which in scripture often gets specified as orphans and widows, say, because in ancient cultures they were the, kind of the most vulnerable people. But basically there's, there's a call on us to seek to protect people from uh, from harm and protecting vulnerable situations, which is why I do think there's a place for Christians to engage in certainly in the kind of you know, big picture, nationwide, political and stuff discussions around this conversation. Because I really do think the question of how do we respond to and support trans-identifying children and teenagers really is an issue of how do we protect. And I think there really is a risk of harm. And so I think there's a place for some Christians to be very much involved in those level conversations. But also it is a reason why it might be appropriate. We might feel there's opportunity for us, say it is, with a parents of a child's a child's friend in school when we if we are friends with the parents actually maybe actually might think actually i'm worried about the vulnerability of a child in this situation and so i do want to invest in that friendship with the parents i do want to see if actually i can help them just be a sounding board i do want to see if actually are there good resources i can help them find because that's we're not doing that as behavior management of you need to sort this thing out because Jesus isn't happy. We're doing it because Jesus loves your child who might be in a really vulnerable situation. And that's really difficult for you as a parent. So we might well feel actually we have a relationship and an opportunity to be involved and to seek to love basically through supporting them there. Thank you, Andrew. Julie, any advice to add? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would wholeheartedly, you know, agree with what Andrew said, really. And, and, you know, and I think this this kind of protecting the vulnerable is a really important thing. And, and certainly, you know, within my work, you know, if, if I can have the an opportunity to be able to get alongside a family and even just suggest some different places they might be able to look for information to what they've been given previously or different places they can go for support you know that that's an important part and you know and I think yeah speaking speaking truth but as part of a relationship but I think you know there are times when we do need to stand up for for what is right but it's how we do it and in what context we do it and and I think yeah there's two levels there's doing it on a sort of a national policy type level but there's also that personal relationships and supporting people and uh, walking alongside them. I, I think one thing I consistently find from doing a podcast with experts is the reassurance I get that the, the topic we're discussing including this one is not outside of every other biblical principle or life of the christian is that as i hear you talking about it you keep taking us back to the principles of scripture that i don't think are surprising to our listeners if they've been around church for a year or two taking us back to the idea that the parent is best placed to be talking to the child and although this culturally feels like a sort of hot button we are still able to talk to our children in the same calm terms, with the same books and the same pictures, with the same Bible's open approach, with the same tell me how you're feeling, tell me what you're thinking. Should we talk about this tomorrow? Can I have a think about this? Can I count to 10 because my head's exploding? Silently work it through all of those normal principles. Uh, are there any, uh, I mean, there's, there's so much we could say. Uh, you, you have both written a great deal. We'll come on to some of those resources in a minute. But are there just things you find yourself saying often to, to Christian parents about these topics that we haven't touched on? I, th I think one of the things, you know, which is not specific to this topic, but is more general, you know, to parenting really, is, is that it's okay to be a parent and to parent your child because I think sometimes our society tells us we should be our our children's friends that we should be trying to make them happy um and and you know those those that's not what we're called as parents we're, we're called to be their parents to lead them um and to lead them in, in God's ways as Christian parents um and I think we should we shouldn't be afraid to do that um and we should encourage each other as well and you know connect with like-minded other parents that can support us in doing that thanks julie because one effect of walking into this into any cultural big issue is you feel disempowered as a parent you feel like culture is telling me this is what i should do so all my other instincts should be parked and per perhaps on this topic with one or two others at the moment in our culture to be able to keep asking what does god call me to to seek the advice and wisdom of older christians to pray it through with our children and to talk it through and to listen. These are still the best ways forward. 
Andrew, anything else? I think I think I'll expand on two things we've touched already. One, expanding the don't panic. One is be ready in a sense for the long journey and be okay that things are a long journey. And I think, you know, I think you see some parenting, I think I've experienced in pastoring. So many things, actually, what people do need primarily is someone to love them, to walk alongside them. And a lot of things do work themselves out, but they do take time. And that can be uncomfortable for the person, uncomfortable to walk alongside. Often we want the black and white. We don't want the gray area of the middle. But actually, I've just learned, actually, and that's part of, you know, God is the great parent, the great pastor. He's the one in control. He's the one who loves our kids even more than we ever could. And he'd work out good plans for them. That doesn't mean we don't get involved. But it's that thing of actually, it's okay, there'll be some messy gray area. And it's okay that a child might come out to you as trans and it's not all solved within a week. That is okay. And, you know, be prepared for, for the long walk, trusting that actually as you seek to apply some good principles of, yeah, what the Bible teaches us and just good principles of parenting, God's at work. And then linked to that, whenever I talk to parents who are in the situation, I do always ask the question of what's the support for you? Because I think actually walking that journey can be really difficult. It's just a, a weighty thing for a parent to carry. They, because of their love for their child, they are deeply impacted by this. So I always want to say to them, what's your support network? Not really in sense of what professional expert help are you getting, but have you got friends who know about this? Have you got people who are praying for you? Have you got people that actually, when you're finding it overwhelming, your child is so determined to change their pronouns or whatever, you can phone them up. You can have a cry with them. You can pray with them. Yeah. You know, that thing we all need in life, but often as adults, we're just bad at doing actually. A parents in a situation like this are going to need good support. So I was going to ask them, in a sense, it's are you looking after yourself through friendship as well? And it's a lie of the devil that your family has a problem that is that is wrong yeah. and that and that the, and you need to be ashamed of yeah. and you need to remove yourself from your church relationally and, and seek secular help. See, you know, Julie, you, you are in the secular medical business. You would be the first to say there's there's help for you. I just and I'll ask you what that help is in a minute. But in the meantime, find those people who love you the most and be totally honest. And don't believe the lie that you, you have strayed along some path that God can't help and your church can't help. Yeah. And that's so, yeah, that's such an important point to make it explicit. A first thought often for a Christian parent whose child comes out as trans say will be, what have I done? Where have I gone wrong? Oh, no, this is my fault. And yeah, it's basically to banish those thoughts as pointless, unhelpful, as you say, often just the enemy trying to tear us down. Mm. And so actually, and that's one of the benefits of friends. They can remind us of the gospel. <laughs> we need to remind the gospel day by day. They can just remind us and spur us on that, no, we're doing what we can to faithfully parent and love. And uh, yeah, so important. Give you a big hug, cry with you and say, well done for telling me. Julie, I don't know if this is a huge topic. I, I suspect it is. But in seeking medical help, help outside of church is are there some simple pointers for us i think it, i think it's it's a really difficult one to answer because i think you know that a lot of the children that we're talking about probably don't or may not need medical help i think the the, the situation we're in at the moment is that a lot of the medical help available is not always helpful because it it takes children down a particular route that doesn't actually help their problems and i think what we need to remember as as christians is is going back to everything that we've been talking about about our identity in christ and being who we are because god has created us like that you know actually in in this whole scenario we have answers that the medical world doesn't have actually you know, and when I when I go to training and and things like that um, in in the sort of secular world, they're very aware that the, that this is all about identity. But if you don't get your identity in who you're created as by God, where do you get your identity from? And they don't have an answer to that. So you know, so I think we need to remember that there are times when medical intervention is needed. You know, particularly when there are mental health problems, autism. You know, all of those kind of things. Those are the bits that might need to be addressed by medical help. But I think you have to be a little bit cautious about who you go to and and how you go about it. I think that's what I would say. In in the show notes, we're going to put links to to, to a lot. I suspect uh, you've mentioned Lovewise and Living Out. They are both organizations who we work really closely with we love them we commend their resources to our audience is is it an unhelpful question just for me to say 
some first ports of call, you know, the, the first thing you would send people to, Andrew? Maybe I'll do general trans stuff and Julie could do age-specific stuff. Great. And parent support stuff. So general trans stuff, I mean, I think the best one-volume book is Preston Spring called Embodied. He is more engaging with questions about trans adults, so there's some nuance for children's situation. But just of how he's wrestling with who are we, okay, how do we theologically think about that, theologically think about these experiences, and also how do we uh, then display Jesus' heart and how we engage that. Gender stereotypes, he talks about really well. I'll plug my own book, Why Not? If you want a shorter version, My People Not Pronouns, is a little booklet attempting at how do we give a rounded Christian response to transgender, particularly think about identity and how we do it in those kind of terms. I, I, it's fair for me to say, isn't it? Preston Sprinkler is quite a hard read. Your booklet is not. So we just Hopefully, to be fair yeah, to yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Preston Sprinkle book is if you want to sit down and really get to the bottom of this. That's very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. So your booklet's a great, better place to start. <laughs> Where, so. What are you going to say next, Andrew? And just the final one, Andrew Walker has there's now a second edition of his book out, The Transgender Debate. The particular strength of that is there is a chapter about speaking to children. Um, how do you engage with that? So that's a helpful resource as well. Great. We'll put those three near the top of the show notes. Julie, something for different age groups. Yeah, so I mean, I, I did a podcast with Preston Sprinkle, so people might want to listen to that, um, where we talk about social transition and pronouns and, and kind of the, the sort of particular nuances with children. There's a lot of really helpful secular books out there. So there's a book called Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier, which is a really good one. Trans by Helen Joyce and Material Girls by Kathleen Stock. So they are mostly kind of feminists. Um, and as obviously there are things that as Christians we, we wouldn't agree with, but on the issues, particularly around the teenage girls, they, they're really, really helpful books. For parents who are struggling with these kind of issues in their family, there's a support group called Bayswater Support, um, which is really, really helpful. So that's all parents of children with, struggling with these issues. Uh, so they're a really helpful group that many parents have found really, really helpful. Thank you so much. It's been amazing to have you talk so openly. I, I know for, for both of you, probably there are other topics you'd much rather talk about. Thank you for serving us like this. Andrew, are you happy to pray to finish? We'd love to, yeah. Thanks. Father, we thank you so much for the truths that we've been reminding ourselves of, even as we're talking today. Thank you for the truth that you have made us, that you have got purpose and design in the way you've made us, the identity you've given us. Thank you that you are the identity giver. And then in that, we can find great joy, great peace and great life. And we pray, Lord, would we experience that ourselves, but also would we be able to help the children whom we parent and whom we love and we serve to experience and enjoy that identity as well. I pray for all who are listening, for whom this is maybe a, a really live, maybe a painful issue. Lord, I pray, would you bring your comfort, would you bring your strength, and would some little nuggets of what is being said today and wisdom from your words be an encouragement to them? And Lord, would we just be people and parents, Lord, who are good at loving, good at staying faithful to your truth and uh, bringing up children, Lord, to know and love you and to thrive and flourish, even in such a difficult cultural environment. Help us in these things, we ask. Amen. Amen. If you want to start with your family to talk about these things on our Who Am I? Faith in Kids podcasts, you'll find episode four is called I Am Wonderfully Made. And it is just trying to begin a conversation about bodies and the difficulties we have with our own bodies and the wonderful gift they are from God. Keep an eye on our website. The resources are coming out for Sunday schools and churches as well. It's been lovely being with you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.